everybody, to another episode of the HR Revolution or Evolution. Uh, it's the revolution of HR for the evolution of business. And we do this through conversations with thought leaders and experts in the field. Um, people that have done it before and, and tried to just uh, take a step or walk a mile in their moccasins so we can share best practices, learn from those experiences, and hopefully improve our outcomes and our results and our role in HR personnel people, whatever we're calling it this day, today. So with me today, I have Chris Derone, my co-host, and I would like to introduce him now. Thank you, Kevin. Everybody, it's great to be back for another episode of the HR Revolution. Um, with us today is Tarek Bazzi. He's an HR professional that combines business acumen, data analytics, and business intelligence, and expertise in leading compensation, benefits, talent management, and employee engagement. Tarek has spent the bulk of his career with Ally Financial Systems, but he is now with DT Midstream. On behalf of Kevin and myself, we want to thank you, Tarek, for taking time to join us today and welcome you to the show. Thank you, man. That was quite the intro. I got I to gotta take you with me more places. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, if you ever need a hype man, Chris is your guy. You know? that's, <laughs> that's, that's what he goes right. for. That's how he, that's how he gets paid, you know, just paid for the yeah. hype. That's well, great. I see the Michigan, the big uh, yellow M that you strategically placed before <laughs> we got on this call. So I have to ask, are you a Michigan or a Michigan State fan? Because you attended both. And which stadium is actually bigger? Well, there, there's no doubt Michigan's a bigger and better stadium, uh, bigger and better basketball and football programs. But um, I did my undergrad at U of M Dearborn. And I always like to say your, your alliances should stick with your undergrad, right? You spent more time there, hopefully. There um, and, uh, you know, the, I absolutely enjoyed my time at MSU. It was an awesome place and, and an excellent education that I got from there. But uh, on game days, uh, my blood bleeds uh, maize and blue. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Tarek, tell us a little bit about, your, you know, yourself. Let's say you're, you're driving into work. You know, what, what are you listening to? You got a podcast on, you got some music that you like, you know, what's the typical drive into work type of, of uh, radio that you're listening to? Yeah, so I'm a big podcast person. So um, <laughs> Work Life by Adam Grant's kind of one of my favorite ones. And uh, I kind of just discovered that. So getting caught up on uh, some of the old seasons. Cool. Um, you know, uh, Angela Duckworth has a, uh, a great podcast as well yeah. that I like to listen to. So I try to just dabble and um, it, it's my, my one time uh, of hey, how do I, how do I pick up tidbits um, for myself along the way? So no. my drive is my learning time. There you go. <laughs> awesome. I love that. It's kind of the same experience that uh, I think a lot of people took um, during the pandemic and some took the opportunity to take that big time out to, to reevaluate and elevate themselves. And I think started to, to seek out podcasts and seek out more information, you know, so they can develop and hence why we started this show uh, and why this became a quick passion project for Chris, myself and Bobby, because there's a lot of information out there. Um, what is, what is one song, if you had to listen to the rest of your life on repeat, what, what song would you pick, Tark? Oh, if I'm listening to a song on repeat, oh man, <laughs> I'm going to get absolutely crushed for this by the, uh, the friends and family here. But, um, one of my favorite jams of all time is unwritten by Natasha Bedingfield. Okay. Um, and I, I know it. I'm going to get, I'm going to get crushed for that one by everyone, but Hey, that's, hey, that's all right. uh, the go-to. Before we kind of get into the, the 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 HR tidbits of advice that we hopefully can pull from you today from this conversation, what is your favorite movie of all time? 
Oh, Gladiator. Nice Gladiator fan. All right. Um, no hesitation there. No either. hesitation. Yeah. Yeah. Right out of the gate. Yeah. Yeah. Ask him his song. It gets a little. It gets a little weird. <laughs> no, I, little I'm weird. dated in my music. Everything goes back to like 2003 and four. Okay. So. I love it. That's great. That's great. Uh, I'm I'm gonna jump right in here and uh, kind of start where it all started for for Tark. Um, I think uh, kind of going back and just doing our history on you, it's it looked like you got your real start in HR and with the, the full blown experience by really getting your hands dirty, you know, and that internship program. And that's really what I think we've seen more organizations, especially in the trade, start more and more of these internship programs, <laughs> identifying that they're going to have to create their own labor pool, that it's not going to create itself today. How important was that in your development, your internship? And do you see that as the future of workforce planning and development uh, for sustainable business models? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of like, how do you change what your workforce looks like over a course of five or 10 years, an internship program is in my mind, one of the greatest ways that you can do that. Um, it's that pipeline of, um, you know, fresh new talent and ideas, but it's also going to test your ability to cultivate them, to, to help them learn and grow. Um, and so you really kind of get to, to see how good you are as an organization to not only bring people in, but where are they leading the organization as well, right? So are you able to take them all the way up from entry-level analysts into managers and directors and senior directors over time? Or, you know, are you using them for uh, this kind of cheap labor, if you will, and it's a churn and burn and, and you know, it's replenished. Um, so there's a lot of different goals that um, internship programs can uh, solve for. Uh, but I absolutely think it's one of the best ways, especially now that we look at D&I goals for a lot of companies. Um, you know, if you get it right up front, it it fixes a lot of things on the back end. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's one of those those huge, uh, huge keys to success. Yeah, because we, we've seen the adverse, right? When And if there is a shortage of talent and you don't have the right people in the right seats, then it causes disruptions within the business and stalled growth. And it's awesome mm -hmm. to hear you say is like, what is the overall goal? What is the intention behind exactly. the program? Because to your point, it is a learning opportunity. I love how you said that. I've never even thought about it like that before. So thank you for, 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 for that added insight. Yeah. There. And like, if you're, a, um, if you're managing an internship program itself, right? Like you're always going to be fighting that battle of this is what we want. And exactly. then people in the business saying like, no, uh, I want, X, Y, or Z, yeah. um, just because, you know, and, and so you start getting some interns and they start getting really good. Now people in the org start looking around like, okay, I need one of those, right? I don't yeah. want to be left out. Um, and so one of the things that we would do really was, well, what's your ability to hire after the fact? And if you didn't have that ability, that was really where we started making pushback on, mm -hmm. like, can you have an intern? Um, and so those were some tough conversations, but some fun ones uh, where you start to say, okay, hey, you know, you want to hire four, but you, you want 16, right? Like those aren't great odds. Let's, let's <laughs> yeah. think about like the, the impact to our program and our reputation when we get back on campus. Yeah. Um, you know, that'll be a huge thing that we got to monitor and manage mm -hmm. as well. So, um, you know, I think best practice um, I've always read was, you know, you want an internship program, probably somewhere around 1% of your total org size. Um, and then you're trying to find a, um, a balance with, you know, like a two for one, right? So two interns for one hire type of deal. Yeah. And, and, you know, that 
that one might turn into one and a half or two and vice versa. It, it, so many different factors on org size and design and goals that would kind of go into that decision. But those were all things that we put into the, the pipeline uh, when we were doing it at Ally. Very cool. That's, yeah. that's great. I think you brought up a couple of really good points there, Tarek, and you know, having that goal you know, in mind and understanding that mm -hmm. goal, I think as an HR practitioner, you know, it's your job to help the business understand what that goal, that goal really is versus cheap labor. Cause I think the, the business usually looks at it just, Hey, I can get some warm bodies and some cheap labor and we can get some work done. So tell me, you met, you mentioned there was some, you know, interesting conversations, you know, as the HR professional, you know, how did you go about working with those business leaders or business managers to help them understand, hey, here's the ultimate goal and, and what we're getting from this program versus just cheap labor and warm bodies. So tell me a little bit about those conversations. Yeah. So what, what I noticed was um, anytime the message, you know, we're playing that like telephone game, right? Of, hey, you know, go tell your client group X, Y, Z. There was always this like tension then between you as a program and the folks in the business. And so yeah. one of the things that we we did to kind of hedge that was we put together a team of people throughout the business to be kind of this, we call it the early talent um, program. Um, so we're now taking people from the business that will be those direct liaisons to those groups. And so it's no longer, you know, a, a message passed down. It's someone in their own group saying, hey, like yeah. we were chatting about this, right? This is a concern. We're worried about over, um, you know, over uh, hiring interns because we won't have the ability to bring them back. We're worried about their overall experience. We want them to have a successful and meaty internship, right? If we've got this many interns, like, yeah, you know, the more work to go around, the more meaty the work ten tends to be. Um, and so just making sure we don't spread ourselves too thin. Mm -hmm. um, and when you approach it from that position of caring, I think that that's really a huge difference. Um, and now kind of here at DT Midstream, you know, we're brand new off a of spinoff. And um, this will be kind of the first summer that I'm uh, with a company where we don't have an internship program. Um, so that's something that we've absolutely highlighted, like, hey, let's, let's get this thing off the ground for the future. And um, but obviously, you know, company size uh, from 8,000 at Ally down to the 300 here at DT Midstream, right? It'll look and feel a lot different. Sure. So yeah. we're kind of going through all those uh, those strikes again right now. Yeah. And 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 obviously, the, this brings up a you brought up size and how obviously you were taking more of a data driven approach in, in your time at Ally and. It's just assumed, I think, in, in most cases in businesses, the idea that data needs to one be perfect, right, before we can do anything with it. But mm -hmm. just the size difference, right? Is that I'm a small, medium-sized business. I'm 300 employees, like you mentioned. How valuable is data still to you in your role at such a smaller organization? And, and how do you utilize it? Yeah, so um, my first manager uh, that I had in HR, his name was Fred Cawley. Um, absolutely one of the, the best people I've ever come across in HR. Wow. Um, and he, he always had like these one-liners and sayings that really stuck with me. And it was data will tell you what you want to see. And, you know, I could look at the same data that Chris does and, and Kevin does, and we can come up with three different stories on how to, how to tell that data and how to tell that story. Right. So like being able to, a check yourself on mm -hmm. what the real story is and like chris might say like hey 
I'm seeing attrition rise in these areas. And I'm saying, well, I'm not really seeing a like bad attrition, like I'm seeing low performer attrition, right? So mm -hmm. maybe we're more okay with that. Um, and so it's just, <clears throat> it's just a matter of what are you gonna look at and how do you check yourself against going down a path, right? That that data might lead you to. Mm -hmm. And you know, you get too far down and you almost feel committed to it at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's one of the, the scary things about um, data is um, there's a thousand different messages we can tell with it. Mm -hmm. And being really clear about what it, what it means is, I think, the toughest part about it. Yeah. So, you know, small organization, um, you know, one of the things we'll look at is, um, you know, in, in my role today with compensation is, you know, how do we sit to market, right? Mm -hmm. So do you get overly excited about one job with one person in it that, um, it might be um, a little above or below our market medians. Like, no, absolutely not, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you got to take it in context, and you, you're able to actually um, better evaluate kind of the expertise within the organization um, when you start to, you know, when you've got smaller numbers, right? You can say, well, hey, we've got all these experts, right? We've got um, all these different um, specialties. It makes sense that we might be shifted one way or another. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just it's different. Um, and I, maybe one of the best things I've learned about like data in general and, and putting it out in front of like HR leaders and business leaders is I feel like a lot of people feel comfortable with more data, right? Mm -hmm. Like give me all the columns I can have. Mm -hmm. Right. But one of the things I would always push back on is how does this data element like help you make a decision, right? Mm, yeah. You don't need performance from two and three years ago to make a decision on a BPR adjustment for this year, Yeah. right? So yeah. um, th th those are the types of things that I think you've got to, you got to get right up front. And on the back end, you know, that's that storytelling piece is really, really key and how you go about it and how you challenge yourself on it. Like, don't just jump in and say like, this is the story, right? Like mm -hmm. you gotta have that, that, that work buddy or that, that thought partner where you're gonna say, this is what I'm seeing. Like, are you seeing it the same way? I like that. And asking the right business questions, I think is always important of the data because how does that relate to the business? It might, we might be having attrition, but what does that mean? And is, it, is that mm -hmm. a priority? I think that's really, I, I see data more as uh, helping us set the priorities, right? When we can understand what the return on investment is, that helps me to understand, well, this gap is more important than that gap, or yeah. this issue is more mm -hmm. important than that issue. So I, I appreciate you sharing that additional insights there on how you're using still data in a smaller institution or organization just to help guide you almost like a compass uh, to, to pick up on those breadcrumbs and, and find where you can always add value. So thank you. Tarek, I got a question for you, you know, and maybe the, the compensation background that you have will be good just for our listeners to understand. So, you know, the great resignation, the war for talent, we're in the middle of it, right? We've seen that companies are throwing money, sign-on bonuses, the kitchen sink, you know, you name it at potential candidates to get them to come. Because it's just so hard to find talent. Um, with your background, you know, what are you seeing? And then what, what would you say you know, organizations can do small, medium business size, like your own, or even large organizations, you know, mm -hmm. what, what's that sweet spot or what should organizations be doing? Because obviously throwing money isn't the answer, you know, hundred percent of the time. Um, so what's out there, you know, from a, from a 
enticing way to get candidates, you know, interested in your organization to come work for you? Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing that any comp that you tend to see is um, the action reason codes when people leave, right? And you're, you're trying to dive into that. You're trying to dive into engagement data um, and you're trying to just get ahead of like where the market's moving before maybe some of that new data comes out. Um, and so there's all these kind of different leading indicators that you could look at that would tell you things. Um, but what I would kind of really look at were those exit interviews, right? And yeah. I try to like figure out, okay, where are people moving to? Are they moving from analyst to analyst? Are they moving from analyst to senior analyst? Like, are they title hopping or are they experience hopping? Like, what is it? And then how do we kind of evaluate ourselves accordingly, right? And sometimes you say, hey, like, it is what it is, right? It, it was a numbers game. There was a funnel and we knew we were going to lose some folks. Yeah. You know, things yeah. like that happen, but it's at least going to be by design and it should kind of follow some some strict, like not strict rules, but some, some, uh, I guess, vague rules. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's one thing. And whenever I've had that conversation with like friends that were thinking about, um, a new experience or a new job, the conversation was never about money for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there was a Yahoo study that just came out that said, you know, this is the amount of money everyone needs to be happy in every state. Right. <sighs> There are a thousand factors. Like, are you yeah. whose definition of happiness? Married, yeah. kid, yeah. like, where do you want to live? Like, so many different factors that, like, number, like, take it with a grain of salt, right? Like, if you're above or below that number, it doesn't mean anything. Um, and what the engagement surveys will teach you is money is not equal happiness, right? And so, yeah. There's actually a lot of like engagement data around, you know, the answer is always we want more, right? So like you don't actually get anything good out of asking how satisfied are you with our compensation and benefits type of of question. Um, And so our conversations as, you know, friends and mentor to mentee was always, what is the experience you're going to get and how is that going to benefit you long term, right? So if you can't answer that question, if you're rotating just for the sake of rotating, like, yeah, that's cool, but it's got to have a purpose, right? So um, in kind of my own career, right, I started out in compensation. um, And then uh, I think because I had a finance undergrad and uh, an MBA and and they they put me in comp to start um, and I, I did pretty well in it, they thought I might never leave comp, right? But for me, that was my first job and opportunity out of HR. Um, and I wanted to see what else was out there, right? So being a brave enough to have that conversation with someone that is a decision maker ahead of you is I think a huge piece of the puzzle. I think all too often we keep it to ourselves and we just, we assume that people should know or, you know, we've, we've touched on it before, but, you know, make your intentions known. And, um, if they can't give you honest feedback about, hey, you're here today and this is what you got to do to get to this spot, you know, that's a different conversation. But I've always experienced people to be pretty transparent and honest about, hey, Tari, this is where I see you. Um, you know, I think you are doing a really good job at raising your hand and saying, hey, there's a problem. We want you to get to, hey, there was a problem and we took ABC steps to, to correct it and not yeah. fill us in, right? Like that's taking the next step. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and so, especially for early talent, like understand like the antidotes, right. Of Mm -hmm. like within your organization, how do you get from point A to point B? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's really key. Yeah. And so for me, like going from comp to talent management was, um, a really cool thing. And then, um, I I got a question for you. I want to, I want to jump in right there because some seemingly right we keep trying to break up hr into these like subcategories right yes. talent management and compensation benefit strategy like to me right that would be one bucket because they all play on the same levers and the same emotional responses and things like that do you see that very similarly like compensation and benefits are just simply levers on how to get that emotional response from your employees to keep them fully engaged and immersed within the work in the business no, I, I really see compensation benefits as the price of admission, right? So that. that's what, like, if you're not getting that part right, like that is absolutely going to be the, like the topic of conversation. And, um, but once you get that piece, right, it becomes all about, are you doing meaningful work? Do you engage with your manager, right? Like, do you have a voice? Like having a voice yeah. in the workplace is a huge thing. So yeah. I think all that kind of goes into it. Um, and so for me, when I was finally evaluating, like being part of that great resignation, like, is this something that I want to do? Um, yes. You know, did, did I make more money kind of going from point A to point B? Yes. But like, it wasn't about the dollars. It mm-hmm. really was about, hey, I've done the rotations. I want to get back to compensation now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this opportunity came up and very similar to my decision to go to Ally, it's small enough where you get to put your hands on a lot of things mm-hmm. and you're not kind of a number in uh in in the wheel right so yeah. it, i think the bigger the company it can sometimes be a really great experience to learn these really robust processes and mm-hmm. uh, these mature processes but when you're in kind of these smaller organizations you get the ability to have these broader experiences mm-hmm. just because you don't have the luxury of like the higher head count. Right. So mm-hmm. that and was what, always something. What we're, I think what you're describing is everybody's just looking to collect like Pokemon cards or baseball cards. They're trying yeah. to collect intellectual capital. Right. And so yeah. therefore they're more desirable on the open workforce. I mean, so we're not, and I think some people came to that realization during the pandemic is, Hey, my, my skills and my talents are, are valuable, right? Not everybody has mm-hmm. these. How can I go cash that in? Whether it's starting my own business, starting on my own consultancy, becoming a leadership development program, whatever it might be. We yeah. saw like these, all these um, spokes off of that initial spindle, um, if you will. So one of the things that uh, you mentioned is uh, the process and getting people to uh, attract or or feel uh, more ownership of the process or the business. And you, you actually specialize in process improvement, right? And we're changing, we're talking about changing the ways that we're doing work today. And you already had some of that experience with uh, overseeing 250 employees in 10 states, um, both in offices, but also remotely. How did that help prepare you for what people were still learning during the pandemic? So you were playing less telephone and more communicating effectively across that, that makeup. Yeah. And honestly, I think it, it, for me, it doesn't really start with that HRBP role. It really was kind of the talent management role of like, okay. hey, we got to communicate broadly to a large number of people. And the worst thing you can do is stay quiet, right? Mm-hmm. So- yeah. When you don't give information, 
um, people kind of fill in the gaps. And when you give bad information, they spin that story and it kind of gets out of control. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, being really clear cut about what you're trying to tell um, and why, I feel like the and why part is oftentimes missing from messages, yeah. right? So, yeah. um, you know, a quick example is um, we were evaluating how often to do our engagement survey. And we were thinking quarterly would be the right cadence. Mm-hmm. So um, out of nowhere, um, hey, we're going to do this thing once a year. Wow. I'm like, what? Really? Yeah. Why is that? So kind of like thought about it for a little bit and then went back into um, my executive's office and was like, hey, I, I'm going to support this no matter what, but I need more than just we're going to do it once a year. Right? Like, what was the reason and the rationale behind it? So when I get questioned about it, you know, I can better answer and better support the business, right? Mm-hmm. So giving that why and equipping people with it is I think a huge part of the change management and the approach where it's not just like, Hey, this is what we're doing and everyone has to like it. Like it's okay to tell people this is why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And you know, it may not always be the best thing. Um, it may not always be, you know, received as like, Oh, I wish we could have got X, Y, or Z, but they're going to appreciate the honesty and the candor in which you approach it with. And yeah. they'll respect the conversation way more. And that, that I think is both individually as well as like broadly when you think about like corporate messages that mm-hmm. go out to employees. Yeah, and I think that's an effective way to, to, to rebuild that trust that probably has been lost. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times companies are making additional investments in compensation and benefits and total compensation strategies, but the ineffectiveness of communicating that out to the employees really diminishes the impact in most cases. Yeah, yeah Tarek, I want to go back because we were talking about having a goal in mind and you, we talked about the intern program and D specifically tied to DE, DE&I. Um, so from a diversity, equity, inclusion standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm interested, you, you talked about scorecarding, you know, DE&I efforts and, and creating reports. I guess the question is how do, how do you use DEI data in today's world to really drive significant and meaningful action? You know, what have you seen take place and then maybe what would you suggest for people out there looking to, you know, take that to the next level in their own organization? Yeah, so I think it's to start like you got to cut the data a layer deeper, right? So um, not only where do we find great hires from, but where do our diverse hires come from? Right, so where do we already have relationships with, probably from starting with current employees, right? Like who went to what schools, who Mm -hmm. has relationships with certain fraternities or business associations, and how do we leverage that? And the biggest thing that I see kind of companies doing wrong in in the internship space is, um, you know, they'll talk about and they'll talk about numbers and metrics but it almost seems like disingenuous sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Of like, yeah. well, what's it gonna be like when I get there, mm-hmm. right? Sure. So who you send to the school is a huge piece of the puzzle. How they can talk about their own experience, right? And is there someone that looks like me above me in the organization? Or mm-hmm. if I look up, like, is there this glass ceiling, right? Mm-hmm. These are all things that are gonna go through an employee's mind when they get there and they start mm-hmm. looking around. So, A, if you're going to, like, go and do it, like, 
make sure you've got the right culture and the right environment to accept folks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's uh, PwC that does a um, like a, a specialized um, training program for um, I want to say it's first generation college students, um, mm-hmm. or it might be um, people of college. I, I I can't remember exactly which one, but it's it's a way to say hey there may be a gap that you're going to walk into and we want to help you close it as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. So you're on the same playing field with these other folks at the end of the internship, right? So like, how do you, is there something you do to level playing field? That's a great question to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, being, having a commitment to go and in, in the areas people are right. Like yeah. that is a, uh, another thing, like, you can't just kind of sit at your table and expect expect to find the random sample of people that walk exactly. with you. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like if you're not getting out to classrooms and to organizations and building relationships, that I mean that's what it comes down to. Build that relationship. Mm-hmm. And if you you might not get anyone for a year or two years or three years, but once they see you enough and they see that you're genuine. Um, and you know, Hey, we, we are, who we say we are. And then you start getting some interns that come back and can talk about their experience sure. and you start getting new hires that can come back and talk about what their internship experience was like that story telling really takes a, on a life of its own. Just out of curiosity, since we live in a world of immediacy and we, our expectations have totally shifted, right? Uh, now, if you get asked for a compensation benchmarking report that's expected to be on CFO's desk by, by Friday, right? Yeah. Um, these expectations continue to get elevated uh, because of our external experiences to, to the office, right? In business, like it, I order food, mm-hmm. it's at my house in five minutes, right? So these expectations are constantly changing. And, and unfortunately, or fortunately, workforce planning and strategic workforce planning is not always quick, right? We can't see that the investment is paying off. Is that, in, uh, is that why you feel like most people, when you talk, when you just said two to three years, you might not see a return for two to three years, key stakeholders are going to say, well, that's, that's way too long. I, I need a return for my dollar way quicker than that. Right. What would you say to, so we can kind of, I guess, m- moderate expectations from senior leadership during these times of change, right? That these do take time and it does take a level of commitment before you scrap the plan and say, forget it, we're going back to what we were doing before. Right. So I would say we're doing the right thing. And if you can tell me this isn't the right thing to do for a genuine reason, okay. Now, at some point, what you're doing has to turn into a tangible number and goal, right? But there's a way to be genuine and there's a way not to. And to put yourself in those places is the right thing to do. Um, And to talk about yourself honestly is the right thing to do. And so what we end up doing is we end up asking those leaders to go and to be that that person that does that talk, right? So, hey, could we get an hour of your time at your alma mater to go talk to a group of students about Ally or about DT Midstream or about insert company here, right? And now you are giving them that, that experience. You're putting them in a space where they can see the talent 
And by the way, they're a decision maker. So if they meet someone that they really like, we don't have to, you know, wait for a, a, a you know, a, a certain period of time where we make this official. If you know you've got someone great that you've met, that you had an interaction with, and you are a person of influence and a decision maker in the organization, yeah. hey, we can offer them an internship and we can offer them an opportunity. Maybe it's entry level, maybe it's an internship, but having a person of influence and a decision maker that it's not just, you know, hey, we're going to send the, the 21, 22 year old kid that, that just got out to go tell everyone how the first six months have been. That is key, right? So it's got to be a blend. Um, you want to show someone that looks like you, but you also want to show that there's leadership involvement and commitment to what you're doing. Uh, Tarek, earlier on, I think that this goes along the same lines of, you know, making that right impression, making the, 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 the experience, the intern experience, you know, being what it could be. You mentioned earlier, you had a mentor earlier in your career. And I think you said his name was Frank, which is fantastic. Fred, yeah. Um, but let's talk about the importance of that. So mentors, either formal or even informal. I remember at a previous organization, you know, the, the general manager of the property said, you know, who, who meant, who's mentoring you? And at the time, I'm like, that's a great question. I, I don't know. So, you know, what is the importance and what can maybe younger HR practitioners as they're learning the trade, you know, what can they do to find that individual or that one person that's going to help them kind of continue their own discovery and learning and growth? Yeah. So I, I will say all my mentors have happened organically over the years. Yeah. And I know we've got like these mentor programs now, right? And hey, we want everyone to have a mentor. We want, you know, these numbers to, to show our mentorship program. Exactly. Yeah. I think forcing mentors and mentoring programs isn't always successful because sure. you're not able to evaluate, hey, like who raised their hand to be a mentor? Well, how do I know you're going to be a good mentor, yeah. right? So yeah. one thing that I would always do was kind of look around at who was getting things done and who was able to kind of influence people around them. And yeah. if, you know, imitation is the, the highest form of flattery, like you start to look at, hey, how are they going about their work? And if I have a question of, you know, an upcoming project, I'm going to go take it to them to say, hey, like, I know you're going to be one of the loudest voices in the room. Like, this is the way I'm thinking about talking about this. This is what we're trying to do. Like, what are your thoughts, right? Yeah, like, yeah. how do you, how do you bounce things off of people? And you're not just kind of blindsiding them with like, hey, it's presentation time, guys. Like, let, let's tell you about how all these changes we're going to make. Um, being able to get ahead of it and like get those opinions up front, like you're building that mentor-mentee relationship yeah. from the beginning. Um, and I feel like a lot of times as early talent, like you come into an organization, you might be afraid to ask for help. Um, and what I would tell you is asking for help is not a problem. As long as you can say, hey, I thought through A, B, C, yeah. I've tried one, two, three, this is where I'm stuck, right? So no one will tell you no if, if you've shown the effort, yeah. right? So put the effort in, give them a, like a re reasonable and like rational thought process and let them help you get over the hurdle or the hump or redirect you. And when you start doing that enough times, you know, I ended up finding myself in those conversations with those same people that I went to over time. 
Mm -hmm. right? So now it's, hey, Tarek, like, this is what we're thinking about. Like, how, how are you looking at it, right? So you're almost putting yourself in those positions to learn from the folks that are doing it really well and to emulate the way that they do it. Um, and, you know, like when it came time for it to be a formal program, I, I kind of looked at um, my, my friend, Sarah, uh, who was my mentor at Ally. And it was just like, you're already my mentor. Like, we're just going to make this official in the system. Right? <laughs> because I'm, I'm constantly in your office, like you talking through strategy, talking through like, how is the business going to relate to this? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's not so much about hey, like I'm an analyst or a senior analyst and I want to become a manager tomorrow. Like, how do I get there? Like, there's no substitution for good work, yeah. right? So the good work has to come first. And as long as you are expanding your network, like through that good work, yeah. you're always going to kind of find yourself on the right side of things. So um, nice. I've always been like that guy that like say like, hey, give me more, give me more, give me more. And one of like the fatal flaws is like you, you bite off too much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's happened to everyone at some point. Um, but that's like a learning experience. Right. And that's the point where like you go to your mentor and say like, Hey, I'm at this point, like maybe I messed up. Like how do yeah. I navigate this yeah. out? Right. And mm -hmm. yeah. Hey, be honest, let them know the competing priority of what's happening. Right. And they help navigate you out of situations as much as navigate you. Mm -hmm. um, so that mentor mentee relationship is huge and you know I think it starts with emulation it's got to be organic and um, you know build that network right like look for the folks that are are um, you know, uh, and, and try to be like them right? I love that. and I, I think you're by I, I see mentor mentee relationships as bi-directional especially with the multi generational workforce today i think there's that's that's really how we retain a lot of that intellectual capital like you mentioned with the process in the smaller businesses i find just people have it more stored in their head instead of on paper and yeah. if they got hit by a bus a, a, a traumatic event like that and then it all is lost um, and that's really where i think the larger corporations have put it on paper put it in policies and procedures so it is repeatable right uh, and, and sustainable yeah. as well um, albeit uh, that they probably need to be reviewed um, uh, every year or maybe every century um, would be a good start uh, just to make sure that they're <laughs> in still alignment there. Um, the last question that we always ask um, as since we're wrapping up is in your estimation, we're, we're seeing like the skills gap, right? The, there's a massive skills gap growing today. Um, there's a massive uh, need uh, within institutions to uh, evaluate what is the current talent within our walls. Um, we're hearing things about buying, renting, botting, and, 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 and borrowing talent at this point. What in your estimation is the future of work and what can businesses start to do and HR practitioners start to do today to be best prepared in your estimation? Yeah, and so this, I think it's twofold for me. Um, I really feel like there's gonna be an evolution within HR softwares. So what I mean by that is we go through talent planning, we go through um, you know one-on-ones with our employees, and we go through all these like different processes throughout the year. But they all feel somewhat disconnected in a lot of places, mm -hmm. right? So in my mind, there's and I know there's some folks um, that are working on this like today, but it's gonna be a a platform where 
me as a manager, I can sit with my employee and I can map out their goals and their aspirations. And we can talk about where their skills are today, right? Like no one ever tracks skills and on paper, right? Like it's, yeah. it's a, a, a thing you put on a resume and, you know, you got to answer a question on it, right? Like, can you actually do a VLOOKUP that you say you could do on, on your resume, right? Or like, tell me, tell me how to do it, right? There, like, there's so many different aspects to that. Um, and when you get into how do we develop talent and those talent gaps, unless you are saying like, this is what I need and this is what we have, you're never able to identify the true gap ahead of time. Yeah. Otherwise it's, hey, like there's a need that happened, but now we're reactive instead of proactive. So I really feel like there's gonna be some sort of software solution um, that comes out where you are tying in um, the conversations between managers and employees that happen. And then a leader can kind of go down and look in there to say, okay, well, we've taken inventory of the talent that we have, the skill sets that we have. And so now you layer in the performance piece, right? You can start to see and evaluate the, the quality of those skills. Um, and now you start to get into talent planning, right? So what happens if this person leaves? Like who would be next person up? Well, yeah. if we say they have certain experiences, I think one thing that I've always been really curious about is if we create a talent pipeline and we create a succession plan and somebody leaves, how often do we use that succession plan versus like, oh no, we need something different, right? Like, yeah. so that's, I think, a, a fun piece of HR where we've got to, we got to kind of get our arms wrapped around it and really be honest with ourselves. Um, is this a true replacement or are we going to go outside? Yeah. And the advantage of staying internal is, hey, you get to promote from within, you create opportunities from within, it opens up that funnel. Um, and the advantage of going outside is, you know, maybe you're bringing in people with new and different perspectives, right? Um, and so it's, it's a balance uh, and you, you got to be aware of what you need and when you need it. Um, but I really feel like there's going to be some software solutions that come out to really help us have that conversation and to make it cohesive from beginning to end, right? Yeah. That, in, that entire life cycle of an employee kind of captured in one area. And if I'm an employee, I can go in and update it. If I'm a manager, I can go in and update it. If I'm a leader, I can view it and cut it a thousand different ways. Um, I really feel like that's going to be kind of the future of HR. Cool. I love that. I love that. And I think uh, obviously that we see the uh, opportunity, the business opportunity, and so does the business community uh, in many of the areas that you uh, you, you mentioned there. So um, I loved what you said, but uh, we all need to understand what we need and when we need it uh, most. Yeah. And uh, the leveraging the data and the insights that you shared earlier, I think is a great way to get there and being honest with ourselves. I, I love that point that you made multiple times throughout the episode, Tark. Yeah. So thank you for that. I think um, there's a lot of different things, but but I know compensation cannot be the only lever that we're pulling um, because pretty soon we're going to find ourselves in the red very quickly. We're playing our director of first impressions about a million dollars. So there's got to be more um, intentions and, and, and meaningful intentions behind workforce planning and strategy. Uh, otherwise, 
I fear for businesses if compensation and monetary is the only thing. So, but thank you so much for today's interview. You, you shared a lot of great insights. Um, I think there's a lot of great tangible takeaways for our audience. And just thank you for the work that you're doing and the mentorship that you're providing out in the community as well for HR practitioners and professionals. Awesome. Hey guys, I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, as always, go blue. <laughs> Take it easy. Thank Tari. You, Tari. Thanks so much. Yep. Take care, guys. Thank you.